matter what you've done, it's never too late. As long as you're still breathing, it's not too late. You can turn to Jesus and ask for help, and he'll answer your call. I, I always pray about what to preach, <clears throat> which is probably a good thing, right? That's probably a good thing. Can I move this, John? Yeah. This is like, no, no, I got it. It's just right there. Um, and so I was kind of contemplating two sermons. But after Doug preached about, and you probably can't see it on the video, but the table over there that he preached about the three people in the church, the church should be made up of thirds. One group was lost people, sinners coming in uh, that we're inviting or they're hearing about what's going on here. The second chair is the baby chair you know, or the, you know, the baby Christians, new Christians, and they're up at the table and feeding on the word of God and learning. And then that third chair is the mature Christian chair where as a mature Christian, you know, we get fed and we should push away and serve. And so I really feel led to talk about that last chair, that last chair. And we're going to be preaching from James chapter one, the signs of spiritual maturity. The signs of spiritual maturity. Um, Warren Wiersbe called this chapter when he wrote his book, he said uh, his title was Time to Grow Up. Time to grow up, Christian. Okay. So that is my challenge to new life here. Anybody listening, it's time to grow up. Time to grow up. Time to be mature. Now, this epistle was written, they think, about 15 years after Christ was crucified. It is a thought then, if it was written that early, that this then is the first epistle ever written of the New Testament. This is the first piece of scripture of the New Testament that the church at that time had, that they could read, they could copy, pass it on, memorize it. This book right here. Of course, James is the half-brother of Jesus. So he saw all that Jesus did. He was not a believer at first. He didn't believe in Christ. He didn't believe who he was and what he said he was. And so later on, he becomes a believer, and he is actually the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And so he writes this epistle. Again, if we think of the time frame, it's sometime probably after Acts, beginning of uh, Acts chapter 7, beginning of Acts chapter 8, where Stephen is stoned and Paul is persecuting the church. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says that the church was scattered. The believers were scattered. And we believe that's possibly when James writes this epistle. Okay? And he's going to write it. Um, he begins off by trying to talk to these Christians about being immature. Now, has anybody ever met somebody immature? Okay. All right. Most of you women are, we're not talking about your husband. No, somebody else, a child, right? No, we all known somebody who's mature, immature, right? We've all dealt with that. If you've had kids or husbands, right, you've dealt with somebody who is immature. When I was a kid, um, I saw uh, just a clip of a movie called The Lord of the Flies. Yes, that is a scary movie. To me, it was as a little kid because it's about little kids that get trapped on this island. And uh, they're, they're, I think they're under the age of 12, a group of kids. And just the, 
the chaos that ensues and, and the things that they do to each other. And it all comes from a lack of maturity because they were little kids. They weren't mature. They didn't know how to handle things. Uh, there was the beast, they thought, in the woods and, and the things that they did to each other. So the same thing is with the Christian church. Immature Christians wreak havoc in, in, the, in our Christian churches. If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a book that Paul wrote after he got saved and he did his missionary journey. That church at Corinth was a church full of immature Christians. And there was all kinds of divisions and schisms and isms and all kinds of chaos going on in that church. All kinds of false doctrine and a lot of trouble, a lot of sin. And Paul refers to them in 1 Corinthians 3 as babes. He calls them babes. He says you're immature Christians. So my desire is for us to look at ourselves and see, do I, do I have the signs of a, of a spiritually mature Christian? Do I have what God says I should have? I've been saved for 40 years. I've been in the Christian ministry somewhat for about 30, 32. Seen a lot of things. A lot of times I thought I was spiritual. I thought I was pretty spiritual. I thought a piece of paper I had or something I was doing or because I was in the ministry, I was spiritual. But I found out I, I, was, I was wrong. So James is going to write to these Christians and he's going to encourage them about it's time to grow up, time to be spiritually mature. And he's going to give them these five, what I call signs of spiritual maturity. So in James chapter one, verse one, it says, now James, a bondservant of, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience, verse four is our key verse here, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So there, those three words there are those words I think describe spiritual maturity. Perfect, which means that's not perfect as in sinless, but that's perfect as in brought into completion, fully accomplished, fully developed. Complete is the idea of whole, having all its parts. Lacking nothing obviously means lacking nothing. It's not deficient or not falling short. Now, in my wee little mind, I think of pizza. I think of a pizza. Okay. Um, if I, I, like I said before in the first service, if, if the, um, if the Jews were Italians, pizza would have fell from heaven down there in the wilderness. Cause that's, that's the manna. That's Italian manna. There is pizza. And we lived in Connecticut. And so we were right Above New York, if you don't, us Southerners don't always know exactly where that place is up there, that, that up the north and stuff. We call it, say, the north, you know, like it's one big. There's actually some states up there. <laughs> Believe it or not, they actually divide and, and kind of call themselves different things. And so Connecticut was right above New York. A lot of people actually commuted from Connecticut to New York to go to work. 
So even though we lived in Connecticut, man, there's all these mom and pop places, pizza, 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 man, all over the place. And uh, man, we just love that, that pizza, that homemade pizza or homemade, you know, uh, Italian, real authentic pizza. So <clears throat> to me, I, you know, when you, when you look at that pizza, you open up that box, right? Ah, that fresh aroma. It's not undercooked. It's not overcooked. It's perfect. It's made just right. Hopefully when you open the box, it's got all its slices. If you're missing a couple, you better take it back. Because then it's not complete. See, it's going to have all them slices on that pizza. It's, it's complete. It has what it should have. And then it's lacking nothing. And seriously, the best thing I can think of, you know, you can open up that pizza and, and smells good and it's all there. But if you, know, if you ordered a Supreme and you got an anchovy, no matter how good that pizza tastes, it's not what you wanted. It's lacking the ingredients that you wanted it to have. Last night, my wife treated me to dinner at Taco Bell. Except when she ordered the order. That's her laughing, if you can hear it. She switched it because I got the box and she got the bowl. And she said to the lady, oh, oh, I don't want any tomatoes on the box. That was mine. I, I had the box. And we drove away. I said, baby, that was, that was mine. You said the box. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll give you the tomatoes off of mine. Then I'll get. And we, she said, maybe I can change. She drove up there and, hey, hey. And she told the lady, can you change that to tomatoes from, from the box to the bowl and all that? Okay, okay. Well, they went back. Well, they already made my order, so I had no tomatoes. But she told me she was going to give me her tomatoes, right? But when they made hers, they got that in. Well, they didn't have tomatoes on her either. <laughs> so I didn't. So lacking. I was all, I was all depressed. I was like, man. She's like, honey, is it? I just don't know if it's going to be the same. You know, it's, I don't have any tomatoes or nothing. Because it's lacking. Now, so you know what? When God looks down at us in a serious way, <clears throat> he should see. Mature Christians, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. You know, Christians are not sinless, but I've noticed they tend to be selfless. So James is talking here, and then he moves on from verse 4, from, from verse 5 to 11, he talks about, trials, hardships. And he describes different things about being double-minded and not having faith and asking for wisdom and all these things. And then he comes to the really main point that he's talking about that, all those trials in verse number 12, which is our first sign of spiritual maturity, which is how do you react to trials? How do you react to, tr to trials? He says there in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation now, temptation is approving. That's what that word means. It is the same word used when Jesus was led into the wilderness and tempted of Satan. When he went through his trial, that's the same word used there, temptation. So in this context, James is talking about the, that temptation, that proving of a trial. 
Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we see here, how do we react to the truth? How do you react whenever trials come your way? Do you throw in the towel? Do you give up? Do you get mad at God? You know, I found out that's what I did. I, got, I used to get mad at God when he let things happen, and I realized that I wasn't very spiritually mature. But God says, through James, how do you react? We can see here the first thing is endure. A spiritually mature Christian endures the trials. They stick in there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, that's talking about God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of, of those who diligently seek him. See, it doesn't matter all the things that I might do for God, I might, which I did, I cry crocodile tears for the Lord. Um, you ever heard that song, Reckless Love? Man, that is a good song. I just heard it two days ago. I must have listened to it a hundred times so far. That is a good song. But crocodile tears, crying for the Lord, doesn't do you any good when you lose faith whenever you go through trials, when you, when you throw in the towel, when you get mad at God. You know, we... we Many times we pray, oh, God, deliver me from this. God, get me out of this mess. But God might not want to deliver you through it. He might want to endure you through it. You see, because, because getting us out of all our messes doesn't really grow us up. You ever tell that to your kids? I'm sorry, I know you teenagers probably heard that, you know, right? Well, you've got to, you know, this, is what we, this is what we parents sound like to you. Well, you've got to learn that when you get in trouble, you just have to, you know, suffer the consequences, right? That's what we sound like to you, right? That's what we sound like. Like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 dinner. That's all you hear. Or wah, wah, allowance. And that's it. But you know what? It's good for us, believe it or not. And God knows that. And I guess that's why I got mad at God because I, I didn't know why did I have to endure that. Why couldn't he take that away? And I didn't realize he was trying to grow me up. He's trying to grow me up. So not only does a mature Christian, do they have endurance in the trial, but they have that what's called joy. Back in verse 2, when James is talking about this, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that this testing of your faith produces patience. So he talked about that, and then he went on in verse 12 and talked about enduring the temptation, that trial. But God you know, says that you know, mature Christians should have joy. Now, joy, I, I had the wrong meaning of joy when I was a kid growing up, you know. And so, you know, you think of joy as whippee, you know, you think that's what joy is, right? So when, when I was a kid, I, I tried to be as cool. Man, I was trying to be as cool. I was not a cool kid. I don't know if you could tell now because I am very cool, but I was not cool. My wife is shaking her head. I, I was not cool as a kid, and I, it took all my energy to try to walk cool. I used to get in the mirror and look and make sure, is this, is this a cool look? You know, is it? And so my, I drove, my mom and dad went out of town. They actually left me. 
um, at the house. So I had my mom's car, you know, and I was allowed to drive it. My mom had this big old woman, I'm sorry, it's a woman keychain. It was a huge thing, little fuzzy thing on the end. I cannot have that thing hanging out of my pocket. Walk into the movie theater trying to, hey, babe, what's going on there? With a fuzzy keychain hanging out of my pocket. So I did the next best thing. I stuck it underneath the seat in the car and went to the movies. You know, drove up there. Got out. I got out of the movie, came back out. My car was gone. Whoopee! <laughs> Woo! Well, Lord, thank you, Jesus. My mom's car is stolen. Wow, what a blessing. <laughs> Can't wait to tell them when they get home. <laughs> you know? But that's not what that means. That means calm delight. It means peace in the midst of, of any circumstance. Well, the circumstance is good or bad. It's having the peace of God. The verse that really shows us what this means is in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There was no whoopee. There was no happiness because joy is not happiness the day of the cross. There was anguish, there was pain, there was tears. But there was joy there too. Despite all what our Lord went through, he had joy. Despite the trial. You see? And a mature Christian has that joy when they go through things. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 <clears throat> says this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Now, I tell you what, I cannot explain to you the peace of God. You know, I had the privilege of talking to a young man this last week that that, that happened to. And he, he said, I, I can't explain it. You're right, you can't. It is something supernatural, that peace of God that comes over you in the midst of trial. So how do you react to trials? Do you have that sign of a spiritual, of a spiritual Christian? The second is how you resist temptation. How you resist temptation. In verse 14 it says this, but James goes on and says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So the second thing is how you resist temptation. H how do you try to resist what you know gets you? You know, one of the things about a spiritual uh, mature Christian is they, they recognize their weaknesses. They know what gets them, okay? They, they know that, man, that internet snags me. I got to keep away from that. 
My job gets me, you know, um, stress gets to me. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe your friends get you, snag you. Family. Maybe it's the past. Whatever it is. A spiritually mature Christian recognizes, man, this is my weakness. This is, this is what makes, I always fall this right here. I always lose faith. Whenever it comes down to the finances, man, it's when I always don't trust the Lord. Recognize your weakness. You know, we have three enemies, you know, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. <clears throat> and those three work against us. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And those three enemies, they use those things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and they use those and they attack us. So what's your weakness? Do you know it? Do you know how, the, how you get entangled and snared? Which is actually the second thing here. Because it says there, we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. That word enticed means to allure, to entrap. And so this, the other thing is, is that a spiritually mature Christian recognizes Satan's bait. Satan's bait. It means that, that, in, that entices to catch with bait. And Satan knows just the kind of bait to get you. To hold it over your head. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, says this, now, whom you forgive anything. So again, Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church that, all, that had all that trouble. And so he writes them a second epistle after he hears it, that they got things right and they were doing right and they were, they were growing up. And there were some people that had done some things in the church that they had to confront and forgive and so Paul writes this and says, Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one of your, for your sakes, in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Devices. Plans. Devices, like schemes. <clears throat> Now, where I work, I'm the armorer. So I have to train everybody who comes in, uh, the new officers, I have to train them in weapons. I get to play Rambo. And I show them the things about the weapons, and it's really a safety thing. And each weapon, there's always a certain thing about each weapon that I tell them so that they don't shoot that weapon accidentally up in the picket, which has happened. And so to get their attention, I always say about this, uh, this particular weapon on this thing right here, I always say, never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever do this. And I show them. Each weapon, I do that. <clears throat> 
get them to, to get that sink in their head. It, it, it's happened before up there. It can happen to you. So I'm telling you, don't ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever think that Satan doesn't have a plan for you. Don't think that you're too small for him to recognize. No, my friend, he does. He's got a plan. He's got a scheme. He's got a playbook with your name on the top of how to snag you. Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices and a spiritually mature Christian realizes and knows the bait that Satan puts out there for them. So how do you resist temptation? Do you have that sign of a spiritual Christian? Now third, we want to see, uh, we see how you respond to the truth. How you respond to the truth. In verse 19 it says, So then, my, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now look at what he says here. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And he keeps talking about that, deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word. Now here I believe, I think that James is, is emphasizing more of the inward work. Be doers of the word. That word. <clears throat> you know, a spiritually mature Christian desires to hear the word. They desire it. It's just, it's something that they, they, they long for. I mean, there is no way to explain that an, a 12-year-old boy would sit down with a Bible and read through Leviticus. But I was saved, and I wanted the Word and I, and I read it. I don't, didn't know where to start. Start in Genesis. You know? Do you desire to hear the word? Man, there's times I've, I've, you know, I was what the cat dragged in when I came to church. I did not want to be here. I just was having something was going on. You know, I didn't get tomatoes on my taco last night. I just didn't want to come. But when I got in here, though, man, the word was sung. And despite the preacher, man, the word was preached. You know, enjoy it. Desire to hear the word. Desire to hear the word. And they desire to put the word into practice. Like he said, be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. So it's one thing to hear it all and get all that information in, but it's a whole other thing to put it into practice. Okay? Now, I believe, now, first of all, there, there's no need to start trying to do out here, do, do the things out here. Way back, when I don't, I don't want to bash that church, but we were in a church way back. And uh, 
A guy came into our church, was not a church member, visiting, but he was wearing a shirt that probably didn't have the very best logo and sayings on it. And after service, the pastor confronted him and said, how dare you wear that shirt in church? And just rebuked this guy. Well, guess what? He never came back. He never came back. And that pastoral has to stand before God of what he did. And you know, we, we, we always emphasize out here what we do, but God said, Man, you need to start here. Be a doer of the word. Let that word work in your heart. Put it to practice. Be a doer of the word. Now, I like the saying, it says, to do the word, you must hear the word. And to hear the word, you have to hear. Now, hey, it's good that you can read that Bible on your own, all right? And you should. But God commands Christians to meet in his house for fellowship, for encouragement, for the word of God. So to hear the word, you got to be here. You got to be here. And sometimes we're here, but we're checked out here. <laughs> I, mean, I might be physically here, but man, the bills and the kids and the job and the sickness, my mind's just not here, right? And you got you to put that away so that God can speak to your heart. So how you um, respond to the truth. The fourth is how you relate to the work. How you relate to the work. Now he's going to deal more about the outward part. So Because there's no use to trying to work on the outward until you change the inward. So now he focuses on the outward. He says in verse 23, For if any, anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his, na his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and not a forgetful hearer of the not a forgetful hearer, but look what he says, but a doer of the work. Before he said a doer of the word. Now it's a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. A doer of the work. You know, a spiritually mature Christian gets in the work. He gets in there and he gets busy. Now you got to carefully note, you're, you're not, it's not busy work. It's not a busy body. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about getting in God's work and finding where God wants you to plug in. You know, God has equipped you and gifted you and allowed you to go through some trials in life so that he can take you now and use you in, in his, in a place, in the work, in the church, in a ministry somewhere, doing something. God wants to use you. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God saved you so that you could do something for his kingdom, to make a difference, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I love that story about that little boy, you know, out there on the beach picking up, picking up, um, Yes, starfish, picking up starfish and throwing them into the water, right? You heard that story, picking them up, and this, and this old grumpy man comes by, kind of like me, old grumpy man, and walks up there and says, what, what kid, look at all these 
hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of starfish that are washed up on this, this beach. What good are you doing? What difference are you making, kid? And the kid picked up the starfish, looked at the old man, and threw it in the water, and he said, I made a difference to that one. See, that's all God's wanting you to do. Just make, make, make whatever difference that he has led you. You might not reach the millions and the masses, but hey, maybe you won. That's all, if, that would, if that's what God wants, then do that. Reach one. But do something. Do something for the Lord. A spiritually mature Christian gets in the work. Okay, it's not a Martha. It's not so busy that you can't be fed. But it's knowing the right time to be fed and then to feed somebody else, to be the person who's feeding. The f- number five, last one. How you, how you restrain your tongue. In verse 26, how you restrain your tongue. If any, he says there in verse 26, if any one among you, I'm sorry, hold on. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, there again is that deceiving yourself. This one's religion is useless. It's useless. If, if we cannot bridle and hold our tongue, then all the things that we do, it, it really becomes of naught. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. When Jesus rebuked the religious leaders, and he told them, what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. And if you've got a critical, judgmental spirit, I'll tell you what, then that, that's, in, that's in your heart. If you've got a complaining and everything's always wrong, and that's in your heart. And a mature Christian restrains their tongue. Watches that what comes out, what the spirit they have. Because it's evident, it, it shows what, what's inside of them. So the signs of a spiritual, signs of a spiritual Christian. Now, you know, was told to me long ago by a preacher. He said, you know, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish. Maybe you not, might not have started very well. Maybe the gun went off and you stumbled, kind of got out of things. Maybe you got out of church. Maybe you got into sin. Maybe you didn't do what you should have done. But it's not how you start. Paul says that he finished the course. He didn't say I started the course. He said I finished it. So get in there and finish. Get in and get fed and grow and let God mature you so that he can use you. Because I'm telling you, God cannot use immature Christians. They cause more trouble than they do good. It's time to grow up. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I just, again, thank you so much, Lord, for your grace. And God, that you are the God of second chances. And, uh, Lord, that you gave me a second chance. And, Father, I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be spiritually mature, to, to examine ourselves and to see where we've deceived ourselves and thought that we were all that, we were something special, but really realize that we fall, fall far short from what you uh, say is perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Lord, help us to, to be honest and give us the power 
through the Holy Spirit to change our lives, to be more like Christ, to be a witness in a lighthouse uh, to those around us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.